0: You're watching Global BC.
1: This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in a moment, but we start with breaking details in the Andrew Barry murder trial.
2: Barry, the Oak Bay father who pleaded not guilty to the second degree murders of his two young daughters, and the jury has now come back with its verdict. Our Ramina Dea is live at BC Supreme Court with more on their decision. Ramina.
3: Sophie, there was a gasp in the gallery in courtroom 65 as the jury foreperson read the verdict, guilty on two counts of second degree murder for the deaths of six-year-old Chloe Berry and four-year-old Aubrey Berry. The accused, the father, Andrew Berry, silent when the verdict was read. He just sat there in the prisoner's box with his head hanging down. Now, deliberations in this case began on Tuesday at around 2.35 in the afternoon. So a relative quick turnaround on the verdicts given. This case has lasted five months with 56 witnesses. Now, Barry was accused of killing his two daughters, six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey, on Christmas Day 2017. Crown had argued that he hated his ex and he hated his mother. He had no job, no money. He didn't even have hydro at the time. And he was about to lose custody of the girls, so he killed them and then tried to commit suicide. Now, Barry repeatedly said that he was innocent during the trial. He said he loved his daughters and that he didn't do it. He said that he was attacked and he was stabbed in his suite on Christmas Day. So what happens next? As far as second-degree murder goes, it's an automatic life sentence. The issue is eligibility for parole. It's 10 to 25 years. So that will be discussed by counsel at a sentencing hearing. We're waiting to find out when that date
2: will be. Sophie. All right, guilty on two counts of second-degree murder. Romina, thanks for that.
1: Now, B.C.'s justice system causing some new heartbreak and frustration tonight, and a growing number of voices are calling for change. The anger stems from perceived lenient sentences, the latest handed down today to a chronically bad driver who killed two women in a high-speed crash. Ted Trinecki reports.
0: As family and friends gathered outside Surrey Provincial Court, what they wanted for a sentence and what they expected were two very different things. Honestly? Yes. I'm hoping for 10 years. The courts heard how 26-year-old Nicholas Carvineris was one to vent his anger by driving fast. On the night of November 3rd, he jumped into his Jeep Cherokee in pouring rain. Around midnight, lost control and crashed into a Ford Escape, killing 50-year-old Sarah Dillon, seriously injuring two others in the vehicle, one of them, 19-year-old Paige Nagata. She died 15 days later.
4: I wake up every morning thinking of my daughter, her pictures on my fridge. Every day I give her a kiss, and I talk to her. How's it going today? Can I tell you about this? It is really, really
5: devastating for all of us. It's just devastating, um,
0: and you know, when you ask me about sentences, I guess I would ask you, if tables were turned, what would you think? Deterrence and denunciation, two words heard repeatedly as Justice Patricia Stark handed down the sentence. She noted that in the five years prior to this crash, Carvineris had seven speeding tickets, two 24-hour roadside suspensions, two three-month suspensions, was caught running a red light, and distracted driving. His sentence, 20 months in jail, realistically 15 served, three years probation, a five-year driving prohibition, and 240 hours of community work.
2: Five months per death, per injury... It's a ridiculous sentence, and we continue to see this over and over and over again.
0: In Canada, new sentences are based on older precedent-setting cases. It's difficult for the courts to hand down a stronger sentence, one that actually does deter and denunciate behaviour. Decisions which deviate dramatically from those uh, parameters are, are often easily overturned to the courts of appeal.
2: Because the sentences have been so low, it becomes future case precedent sentencing for future cases.
0: Ted Czernicki, Global News.
2: Well, almost two decades after the disappearance of Angel Fair, RCMP announced today her boyfriend has been charged in her murder. Fair was last seen by her daughters in Abbotsford in April of 2000 when they had Easter dinner together. Afterwards, she left with her boyfriend, Trent Larson, for their home in Kamloops. She was five months pregnant at the time, and she was never seen again. 11 days ago, Larson was arrested and is now charged with one count of second-degree murder.
6: This past weekend, at a rural property just outside of 100 Mile House, Angel's body was located. We would like to extend our sincere gratitude to the owner of that property, who is completely unrelated to this crime. He not only cooperated with investigators, but assisted by providing equipment to aid in the recovery of Angel's
7: body.
1: Shocking testimony today from police at the double murder trial for the man accused of killing a Vancouver couple. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam has pleaded not guilty to two counts of first-degree murder in the deaths of 68-year-old Richard Jones and his wife, 65-year-old Diana Ma Jones. Ramina Dea has more on the violent details emerging and again a warning, they are disturbing.
3: Chilling testimony from the first veteran Vancouver police officers on scene who said they saw a knife and hatchet outside the victim's home. Then the bloody footprints on the back steps. The first signs of the catastrophic scene to come. With his semi-automatic rifle drawn, Constable Peter Swan testified the warning was given. Vancouver police, anyone in the residence, we didn't know what we were going into. Swan told the court there was so much blood on the floor, he slipped. After clearing the kitchen and living room, Swan said he came to the bathroom. The door closed. He could hear water running, then he entered. I was overcome with the steam, blood in the bathroom. My first observation was what appeared to be the outline of a human body. Swan said he forcibly opened the shower stall door. Then I observed two bodies, male and female, in the shower. Hi, Mr. Norton. Can we talk to you about your testimony? No. Darby Norton rented a room to the accused, Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, three months before Diana Ma Jones and her husband Richard Jones were found dead in their home September 2017. The rental home just a two minute drive from the victim's house. Norton told the court Cam is originally from Hong Kong. He has an economics degree from a university in Alberta. He moved to Vancouver for work. Norton went on to say he never saw Cam drinking or doing drugs. He had told police he wasn't concerned for his safety, but he did notice Cam seemed kind of depressed that summer. He was spending a lot of time in his room playing video games. Ramina Dea, Global
2: News. A United Nations gang member has pleaded guilty to his role in the conspiracy to murder, murder a rival gang member. Ten years ago, Kevin Leclerc, one of the highest-ranking members of the Red Scorpions, was gunned down in the parking lot of a Langley shopping mall. 38-year-old Kreshnik Ismailaj was arrested in Ontario last year and pleaded guilty today. He's one of several people arrested and charged in connection with Leclerc's murder.
1: On the eve of a public inquiry into money laundering in B.C. casinos, there are questions tonight about the current status of two key executives at Great Canadian Gaming. The architect of the casino operator's VIP program and the executive in charge of corporate service and compliance seem to no longer be a part of the company's leadership structure. John Waugh has more on how crucial their testimony might be at a public inquiry.
8: Months before the Cullen Commission's public inquiry shines a spotlight on money laundering in B.C. casinos, a major shuffle seems to have been made at Great Canadian Gaming.
2: I'm looking at who's in those positions, and you want to see continuity.
8: At the end of 2018, Great Canadian had 11 members on its leadership team. Walter Sue, the executive VP for player and gaming development, Patrick Ennis, VP of corporate security and compliance. Those two now noticeably gone. The responsibilities seem to have been assumed by former COO Terence Doyle and others brought up to the executive table.
2: And you want to see the people who were responsible for that appearing at public inquiries and giving evidence.
8: We asked Great Canadian Gaming three questions. Where did Sue and Ennis fall in the shuffle? And if ties were severed, what were the reasons and exactly when did it happen? Well, Great Canadian responded saying it would not comment on personnel matters and would not answer any of our follow up questions. Walter Sue started as a dealer and worked his way up over more than 30 years. He's been described as the architect of high stakes gambling and attracting VIPs from overseas.
9: I know Walter Sue, but I did not interview him for the report.
8: Some saw not interviewing Sue for the BC Commission German Report as a missed opportunity. Global News later discovered the author and Sue both serve on the board of directors of the Richmond Oval. German denied any conflict.
2: You can't get anywhere. On money laundering in casinos, if you don't have full disclosure from the people who designed and
8: implemented the VIP gaming program. There isn't a square inch in the casino that doesn't have a camera over it. Patrick Ennis was Great Canadians' defense against criminal cash, in charge of implementing the company's anti-money laundering measures.
2: Those would be very crucial individuals in unpacking the entire issue.
8: Neither Sue or Ennis have been accused of any wrongdoing, but served key roles in the casinos. German found were unwittingly used as laundromats for dirty money. While both of the former execs no longer seem to be registered to work in BC Gaming, those who will be watching the Cullen Commission closely say they must be on the witness stand. John Hua, Global News.
2: Dog owners in Richmond are on alert after a a report of tainted meat found in a popular park. City bylaw investigators went to Woodward's Slough Dog Park on Dyke Road just west of Number 4 Road where the meat stuffed with sewing needles was apparently found. And while the city is unclear at this point if the claim was legitimate, they're giving a heads up to dog park users to be on the lookout.
1: While the sale of single-family homes and apartments has slowed in recent months, one local rental building specialist says he's seeing a substantial uptick in the number of apartment buildings hitting the market. Aaron MacArthur explains why industry experts believe the rent controls brought in by the province to help renters might actually end up having the opposite effect. This apartment building in South Granville is up for sale.
10: So's this one. And this one, too. In fact, there are half a dozen buildings within a six-block radius looking to sell. Real estate agents who work with large multifamily sales say there's been an onslaught of owners hoping to unload. The mom-and-pop owners, uh, many of them immigrated to Canada in the 60s. They built the
11: buildings. Uh, They don't have large cash reserves, and many are unable to keep up with the repairs and
10: maintenance. Rental apartment building owners are facing challenges. Restricted from redeveloping and lacking the capital needed to renovate, Many buildings are still taxed at a level owners can't afford.
0: You can't redevelop it, but you're getting assessed on the basis of highest and best use. I mean, there really is an element of unfairness there.
10: Government's not doing landlords any favours either. In the city of Vancouver, it seems every purpose-built rental gets intense scrutiny. Like this project on Granville, where approval is far from guaranteed.
12: We don't need more condos, we need purpose-built, safe, secure rental units for people. Um, But if we don't say yes to supply and get more going in the market, we're not going to help increase affordability.
10: A recent report suggests Metro Vancouver needs as many as 20,000 more rental units immediately just to ease the rental housing crunch.
0: The reason we have a rental housing crisis is because we have persistently low vacancy rate. And so the real solution to this is let's build a ton of new, secure, purpose-built rental housing. I mean, this is not rocket science.
10: Every time a building changes hands, the greater the chance it might be bulldozed. And more affordable rental simply disappears. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
2: And meantime, B.C.'s speculation tax is seeing its first major legal challenge. A group of homeowners claim the tax unfairly targets residents who split their time between two homes. Jill Bennett has more on who's behind the lawsuit and the support they're drawing. This
6: Oak Bay home has been in one family for generations. It's now at the center of a legal challenge of B.C.'s new speculation and vacancy tax.
2: It is just so heartbreaking that, you know, government would do this to their citizens.
6: Simpson, a Canadian, and her husband Robert, an American, split their time between Victoria and Texas. They're the leading plaintiffs in the new lawsuit. Both are retired and receive pensions. They say they can't afford the $6,000 they've already been charged under the new tax. She argues she's not a speculator and uses her home throughout the year. I have
2: no family left. You know, the house to me is like, that's my family and I've never wanted to sell it, which is extremely upsetting and and it's so unfair.
6: The case is being handled by a Vancouver law firm and it's expected more plaintiffs could join.
13: We argue in this petition that the act essentially forces homeowners to move out to sell or to rent out their homes and the effect of the act um, ultimately is, is arbitrary, it's um, discriminatory.
6: But the provincial government argues the tax is a success, saying most British Columbians are exempt. As for the lawsuit, as this case will likely be before the court, it would be inappropriate to comment on the specifics. I can say that as with any tax measure, ministry staff worked closely with legal experts to ensure the tax would be lawful.
2: If that's the way they're going to treat their citizens, I don't want any part of it.
6: Lawyers aren't charging fees, hoping a crowdfunding campaign will cover the bills. In the hours following the filing of the lawsuit, five more homeowners contacted the law firm asking about joining the fight. Jill Bennett, Global News.
2: Right now, though, an Abbotsford mother is demanding answers, questioning the protocol at her son's school after he was released from the school, suffering what she says appeared to be stroke-like symptoms.
1: The 11-year-old didn't make it all the way home and was eventually rushed to hospital. Jennifer Palma has more on what happened.
7: These are all the wires attached to him. They're to read his brainwaves to make sure that he wasn't having seizures.
13: Amanda Broad can't believe her 11-year-old son, Caleb, spent two days in hospital. She's grateful he's finally home, but she's frustrated with his school, Abbotsford
7: Middle. How could this happen to my child, and why wasn't I called? On
13: Monday afternoon, just before school led out for the day, Caleb told his teacher that his left arm and face were tingling. He felt like it was paralyzed. The teacher even remarking Caleb was slurring and that the left side of his face looked frozen. The teacher asked if he felt okay. Caleb said yes, and he was told to walk home and tell his mom. Except he became disoriented and
7: walked well off course. He called his mother. Caleb was extremely pale His eyes were dilated. He um, didn't have any memory of how he got to where he was. And he just kept saying, Mom, I'm scared. I'm scared. What's happening to me? What's happening to me? In hospital, Caleb underwent several
13: tests, including an MRI, to figure out if he'd had a stroke. In the end, he was diagnosed with a hemiplegic migraine, which is rare in children. Amanda is relieved to have a
7: diagnosis. Now she wants to know why the school didn't call her. The protocol for a child in any kind of me- medical distress any even the smallest flu-like symptoms anything a parent should be called and they are not allowed to leave the school
13: The Abbotsford School District says it's aware of the incident and that it's working with school administration to make sure that policies are followed. Caleb is recovering at home, but he wants
7: to go back to school. Amanda will be meeting with school officials. I definitely don't want to see any repercussions to this teacher. I just want to know that school policies are followed and parents are called. Jennifer Palma, Global News, Abbotsford.
1: Millions of people around the world, including here in BC, are expected to gather in the streets for tomorrow's global climate strike. The largely youth-led movement is certainly gaining momentum.
2: Organizers haven't set attendance targets, but given the new endorsement and support of several school districts around the province, the turnout could be huge. In an unprecedented move, students are being excused from classes in order to take part. It's not only being applauded by students, but many teachers as well.
7: Having our students out there taking the reins, taking the lead and calling on us, it gives us them hope and I think it can bring change.
2: Now while marches will be held across the country, climate activist Greta Thunberg will be in Montreal to give a speech and participate in the march there.
1: There is no doubt tomorrow's climate action strike will be an unprecedented event, but then what
2: will it really make a difference and what will all of us have to do to save our environment as Linda Aylesworth reports one BC expert compares it to going to war
14: It's more than an impromptu concert at the Vancouver Library. It's a flash mob by musicians for climate action.
12: I like to think about um, our kids, the grandkids, the future generations across the world.
14: This week in Canada and around the world, people are uniting and speaking out in very public ways to save the planet.
11: I'm actually quite excited about it. There's a level of energy and optimism seen now that I have never seen with respect to climate action before. And I've been uh, studying protests for three decades.
14: What do want? What?
11: Leading the way, the world's youth, who have found
14: an eloquent and passionate leader in 16 year old Greta Thunberg.
13: Right here, right now, is where we draw the line.
11: But it's not just Greta, it's the, the big difference is the vehicle that she's discovered, these school strikes. And also, it's the, I think it's really the power of youth. We're facing the extinction of our species. We need to do something.
14: But what? Professor Hover compares what's required to ramping up for war.
11: We really do need to get all organizations, government, industry, civil society, working together to drive this change. Climate justice!
14: Whether or not that happens depends on what we do on election day.
11: Those kids all have parents and older relatives and I'm quite sure that a lot of them are going to be influenced to vote differently than they would have been otherwise because of the power of the student movement.
14: Not only vote, but hold politicians accountable.
11: It is a grand social project. There's actually lots of reasons for optimism. Look at those kids and feel the optimism and the urgency and act on it.
1: Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The environment was high on the campaign agenda of Justin Trudeau today, but the liberal leader was squarely in the crosshairs of conservative leader Andrew Scheer. Global Shalima Maharaj wraps up the day's events. Mr. Trudeau, you are unfit to lead.
5: In appearance in Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's Montreal riding of Papineau, Andrew Scheer took aim, promising a judicial inquiry into the SNC-Lavalin affair.
9: The measures I've announced today, and others I will announce later in the campaign, will safeguard our democracy against the whims of sleazy and unscrupulous politicians.
5: In B.C., NDP leader Jagmeet Singh responded to Scheer's calls for an inquiry. It's something that I've long called for. Singh is also pledging to be there for families stressed by unaffordable housing.
11: Families that are in, in a situation where they might lose their housing because they can't afford to pay the rent. We're going to provide them with supports. Our plan will literally lift up 500,000 families and we'll give them up to $5,000 of support.
5: Justin Trudeau literally paddled to the podium for his first appearance of the day where he committed to safeguarding a quarter of Canada's oceans and a quarter of Canada's land over the next six years.
4: We must. It is an essential part, not just of protecting biodiversity, not just of fighting climate change, but of also ensuring that future generations have the opportunities that we've had growing up.
5: The Green Party's Elizabeth May remains adamant that if elected, her party would cancel the $13 billion Trans Mountain Pipeline extension, funneling funds instead to a national grid strategy. Then we'll have the 10 to $13 billion for a different non-budgetary transaction.
3: Working to establish a Canadian grid strategy to get renewable decarbonized electricity from one part of this country to the other. Shalima Maharaj, Global
1: News. The red carpet is rolled out tonight for opening night of the Vancouver International Film Festival.
2: Meteorologist Christy Gordon is downtown at the center stargazing. A big night uh, tonight, Christy, and an important couple of weeks for
15: Canadian film. It sure is, Sophie. We have uh, well, films from all across, uh, the international films from all across the world. I want to introduce you to uh, um, Curtis uh, well, Chuck. I knew I was going to stumble on that. I apologize. But he's the associate director for uh, the uh, programming here at Vancouver International Film Festival. This has been a major program that you put together and an exciting night tonight.
9: It really is. We're here at the Centre for Performing Arts. We're going to be screening Adam Gagoyan's Guest of Honour. Adam's been a guest of this festival so many times before, so we're very fortunate to open with his latest film. And uh, also, you know, uh, having such a large Canadian program here as well. Adam is a great ambassador for, for Canadian cinema.
15: So we were talking films from all around the world. Tell us about what people can also see here.
9: Yeah, uh, films from 70 countries, 200 features, 130 shorts. On top of that, we have a Films Plus program that lets people see things like the Song Exploder podcast with Chuck D talking about the recording and writing of Ch- Fight the Power as well uh, on on Cinema at the Cinema Live, uh, which is a Adult Swim comedy series. There's going to be a live episode of that at the Playhouse next weekend. Uh, we have Creator Talks, Director's Master Classes. Um, all sorts of information that can be found at viff.org. So
15: So not just films, all sorts of things outside of films. And it's over the next 16 days. You can go to viff.org. Thank you so much, Curtis. I really appreciate you. See the movies. Yes, we will. All right, back to you guys. All right, say hi to Curtis for me. I went to high school with him. Yeah, Sophie says hi. Oh, yeah.
11: (laughs) We were presented with the most graphic evidence yet that the President of the United States has betrayed his oath of office.
9: It's a disgrace to our country. It's another witch hunt. Here we go again.
1: The war of words over that phone call between Donald Trump and the president of Ukraine is reaching a fever pitch tonight with new developments on two fronts.
2: The release of a whistleblower's complaint about the call and acrimonious testimony before Congress by the acting director of national intelligence.
12: A presidential abuse of power and a cover-up, those are the allegations at the heart of the whistleblower complaint congressional investigators released today, just before acting director of national intelligence Joseph McGuire began three hours of contentious testimony.
4: Did you ever speak to the president
0: about this complaint? My conversations with the president, because I'm the director of national intelligence, are privileged.
12: The whistleblower accuses President Trump of using the power of his office to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 U.S. election, citing a July phone call when the president asked Ukraine's president to investigate Democrat Joe Biden and his son. President Trump attacking the allegations and the whistleblower.
9: It's a disgrace to our country. My call was perfect. The president yesterday of Ukraine said there was no pressure put on him
12: whatsoever. The complaint also alleges that White House lawyers were concerned President Trump had abused his power, and it accuses the administration of trying to lock down evidence by moving a transcript of the Ukraine call to a high-security server. Acting DNI Chief McGuire under fire today for first taking the complaint to the White House instead of Congress.
0: I was endeavoring to get the um, executive privilege concerns addressed. The White House did not, did not direct me to withhold the information.
12: Republicans calling the hearing a political stunt, zeroing in on the fact the whistleblower didn't directly witness the alleged acts.
0: I was told that, and I learned from multiple U.S. officials that, in other words, all of this is secondhand information.
12: But House Speaker Nancy Pelosi seized on the allegations of hiding evidence.
0: This
2: is a cover-up.
12: Believing Democrats now have compelling new evidence as they begin their impeachment inquiry. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington.
2: Nearly seven months since the Boeing 737 MAX was grounded, the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board is now recommending urgent changes before the jets are allowed to fly again. After two fatal crashes and 346 fatalities, the NTSB says Boeing underestimated the panic and chaos inside the 737 MAX cockpit when multiple alerts and alarms warn of immediate danger. The NTSB wants the FAA and Boeing to use average airline Pilots from around the world in future simulator testing and to subject them to multiple alarms as opposed to one alarm at a time.
1: Quickly returning to our top story now the breaking news with the jury in the Andrew Berry double murder trial. The Oak Bay father accused of killing his two young daughters. That jury has come back with its verdict. It's guilty, uh, sorry, guilty on both counts. And Ramina Dea is live at Supreme Court uh, with more on the decision and reaction to it, Ramina.
3: Chris, there was a gasp in the gallery when the jury four person read the verdict. Guilty on two counts, as you mentioned, of second degree murder in the deaths of six year old Chloe Berry and four year old Aubrey Berry. Now, the accused, their father, Andrew Berry, was silent when the verdict was read. He just sat there with his head hanging down. Now, it has been an emotional, intense five months, 56 witnesses over that time. The jury was deliberating since Tuesday so a relatively quick verdict given the amount of evidence we've heard in this trial. We just spoke to a woman who we've seen many days in the courtroom her name is Valerie Jerome she is a friend of Sarah Cotton who is the mother of those two little girls here's what she had to say. Valerie your reaction when the verdict came down?
15: Oh just tremendous relief just enormous relief it was uh, a very satisfying verdict and uh, you know it had been two and a half sort of long tense days so it was great relief.
3: Now, much of this trial, Chris, came down to whether or not the jury believed Barry's story. He took the stand, which is very unusual in a murder trial for the accused to do so. He had told the jury repeatedly that he was innocent, that he loved his girls, that he did not do this. He had said that on Christmas Day, he was attacked. And he was stabbed. The jury obviously weighed that evidence with everything that they've been listening to over the past five months and delivered that guilty verdict on the two counts of second degree today. So what happens next? Uh, with, with second degree murder, there's an automatic life sentence. The issue before the court now is eligibility for parole. And that can be anywhere between, between 10 to 25 years. We have no word yet on when the sentencing hearing will be. Back to you.
1: All right, we'll wait for the update. Thanks very much, Romina Dea, reporting from the courthouse in Vancouver there. In Health Matters tonight, some new video of what could be the next frontier in emergency health care. The German Air Rescue Service has begun testing an electric multi-copter to see if it can get doctors to the scene of an emergency faster. The machine is built by Volocopter based in Munich. It's a vertical takeoff aircraft propelled by several electrically powered rotors. In this simulation, they're testing it to see if it can get doctors to the scene of an emergency before an ambulance to improve medical care and save lives. Volocopter says the results of the study are expected next year.
2: After the forecast, why Prince William found himself saying Boaty McBoatface at an official event in the UK. (laughs) When he does it, it sounds classy.
1: sounds classy, Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes (laughs) down in a moment. All right, we checked in a little earlier with Christy uh, for some news on the Vancouver International Film Festival and a lot of people thankful that the sun's back out this afternoon, Christy.
15: That's exactly right. It's actually pretty nice downtown here. The sun has come out for the remainder of the day today. Behind me here, Philip Humans, He's the uh, director-writer for Burning Cane. Lots of famous people coming down this red carpet for the opening night here at Vancouver International Film Festival. Let's talk about the sunset, though. It will set officially at 7.03, but look at that. Tremendous as the sun is setting with the blue sky there turning yellow and uh, oranges. Now, we did have gusty winds, quite a lot of waves out on the water right now with gusts in the 50 to 60 kilometer an hour range now we are expecting the gusty winds to continue not only here across the south coast but all across the province right through tomorrow and as we talked about possibility for snow freezing levels will drop tonight through the weekend potential for snow on the cocahalla connector highway 3 all the way along don't drive those highways without the right tires you need to have snow tires especially if you're north of worcester also because look at the band that's going to move into the chilcotin region And we're talking about the potential for snow even over lower terrain. Throughout the day tomorrow, that freezing level will continue to drop. So across southern BC, there is a chance we could see some snow, especially into Saturday morning for lower elevation snow. Fernie, we're talking about you. Princeton as well. There's your forecast for your Friday. So a chance of showers with snow over higher terrain. But we will see uh, that change as we head throughout the day on Friday. Sunshine uh, all all weekend long except cool at night. Back to you guys.
1: All right. Good looking long-range forecast. Thanks, Christy.
2: Prince William and Kate Middleton helped rename a British ship today. Not something that usually makes news, but this is a ship that generated worldwide headlines just a few years ago.
1: You might remember the British government held an online poll to name its new polar research vessel. And the winner was Boatie McBoatface. But the government decided to rename the ship. Sir David Attenborough instead after the famous naturalist, all of it leading to today's unusual ceremony.
11: It is my immense privilege and relief to welcome Sir David Attenborough, rather than Boaty McBoatface, to speak.
1: (laughs) The icebreaker will be run by the British Antarctic Survey with 30 crew members and up to 60 scientists. Sea trials will begin in March of next year. And the name, Bodie McBoatface, it actually goes on a little research submarine vessel. So there is a seagoing vessel that will be called Bodie McBoatface. Because we
2: have new ferries coming. We've got a new sea bus. Like, we've got vessels that need names.
1: That need names. Just in case.
4: How about Brian Ferry? That's a good (laughs) one, actually.
1: (laughs) For you, old, music. Yeah, for you old Roxy Music fans. Squires here with sports. The season, the hockey season, is upon us almost. Well, yes. Ne- what's o- I always ask
4: you, when's October 2nd?
2: Um, that is Next Tuesday? Tuesday.
4: I never Wait. know what date it is. I just know the month and the season. Wednesday. That's all I'll know. Next Wednesday. Okay. Uh, tonight is the final preseason game for the Canucks. Elias Pedersen will play in this one. He will start on a line with Josh Levo and Michael Furland. I think Furlan might be a first-liner this year with uh, Elias Petterson. add some grit. The second line will be centred by Adam Goddard, who has been very good in the preseason. Good enough to stay away from Utica? Well, we'll know soon enough. Jake Vertanen is out there tonight, but it looks like he will start on the fourth line. All right, Canada's first game at the World so, Cup of Rugby. And it was most forgettable against Italy, and right there... Abraham Stein, watch him just run, and I do mean run over the Canadians to give them an 8-0 lead in the 7th minute. Then, Dean Budd.
10: In the early stages of this game,
4: 10 points to the burden Straight through. Canada's tackling was atrocious through the entire game. And here, talk about a missed opportunity. Matt Heaton, just hold on to the ball. That's all you got to do down it goes a try lost right there 17 nothing at halftime for Italy and the Italians basically ran away from the Canadians in the second half Mattia Bellini this is another try now it's 36 to nothing Canada's try was by Andrew Cole you might as well show it just so you know that they did know their way to the end zone
1: it was a nice and run, too. It
4: was a nice run. Just a disappointing start. Because they're in a very tough group. And their next game, chances of beating New Zealand pretty thin after losing 48-7 to Italy. The World Indoor Lacrosse Championships are going on at the Langley Event Centre. What's so surprising to the casual observer is there are 20 teams in it from places like Costa Rica and Scotland and Hong Kong, just to name a few. Canada might dominate the game, but more are playing it around the world.
0: And again playing the top of the short man. And there's a shot and a goal from Dan Smith into the top corner.
9: Lacrosse was invented in North America, and that's where the powers of the sport remain. Canada, the USA, and the Iroquois Nation, which are American and Canadian players of First Nations heritage, are in a class of their own. In the four previous World Indoor Championships, Canada's won the gold medal every time. They've never lost a game, and they're on track to win another gold in Langley. But there are 17 other countries represented, and many who are just getting started in the sport like Austria. They don't even have a full-size arena in the whole country of Austria, so they go, to, they go to, uh, to a different country actually just to practice. Kyle Sorensen is the Austrian head coach. He used to play for the Vancouver Stealth and lives in Coquitlam now and coaches in the WLA. He was approached last year to help the Austrian program, currently ranked 15th in the world. Skill-wise, these, some of these guys are, are good enough to play at the senior level here. It's just the, the ins and the outs of the game that you know that you get through experience and playing. So um, that's my job to kind of help them out with that. That's a theme at these championships. Almost every developing country has a Canadian or American coach trying to speed up the learning curve of these very motivated but very raw lacrosse players. For the last two weeks, we learned more than for the last two years.
1: So this is a really amazing experience for the team.
9: They are getting better, but the gap between them and the top teams is still vast. But just
11: watching the best in the world at this tournament has big benefits. When you watch Canada, you just see fantastic fundamentals, right? Like they do all the little things right every single time. And then they can just build on that. When you watch guys like the Iroquois, you just see the flash, the flair, and like the love for the game, which is a little fun. It's like amazing. Amazing. They they were, like,
1: born to play lacrosse. Uh, For them, it's so easy to, like, pick up the ball, to shoot the ball, to score the goal.
0: Here's Dobie. Scores into the top corner. What a shot.
1: A new Seattle business is getting a lot of attention with its twist on the no-shirt, no-service restaurant rule.
2: In the case of the new coffee shop, it's more like, no shirt, no problem.
5: A new business is creating a buzz on Broadway.
15: Yes, I think this is a perfect location. The slogan says it all. Hot guys serving hot coffee. Hot guys serving hot coffee. <laughs> Deshaun Williams and
5: Brandon Peters <laughs> are the shirtless baristas.
8: Name of the company: Dream Boys Espresso. Feel like this does get like the next level of it, right? <laughs>
9: Two years ago, I wanted to create my own company and called, called Brokini Espresso. But this place opened first. I saw this advertisement on one of the female barista pages saying that they were hiring Mel Brisas. So I, just, I had to I had to try it. It was something new, I was like, it's gonna make history.
8: I thought it was a good idea, you know.
5: They've been here less than a week and already have regulars.
8: <laughs> this is my favorite one, he's a, he's a hottie.
5: There's even yeah, the been a few curious caffeine seekers from far away.
10: Bellingham. Willing
5: to make the drive.
10: For these
1: guys.
5: A coffee run 90 miles from home.
1: We saw it on Facebook and we're glad that it's just not a bikini hut. <laughs>
5: <laughs> They're steaming up orders and posing for pictures. Thanks, Thanks for coming thank out, guys. You. At a coffee stand.
8: I've always loved ice mochas. <laughs>
5: creating a lot of conversation on this corner.
0: Very good. Thank you,
5: thank you, I appreciate it. You know, we make good we make good drinks too, guys. We make
9: good oh, drinks right. too. A lot of people question Is about that. That, that. They're like, hmm, dude, can guys make coffee?
2: <laughs> yes, we can, we can. I feel like it, it might be hazardous because you're working with very hot liquids.
1: Mm. Absolutely. Never
4: cook without and your shirt on. steam, mm-hmm. right? Bad idea. I, I would work there if I got to keep my shirt on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you would still wear the bow tie?
4: I, I did say, I once in Florida in the 80s, I walked into a donut shop with a friend and it was a topless donut shop. It was quite famous in Florida. We didn't know it. Like, it's no longer no. Men around. Men were
2: topless or women
4: were topless? Women. Everyone. Oh. Everybody was topless. Well, except
1: for Uh, me. I'm not sure that place would still be open, but you never know. No, no, I think Uh, it's done. Happy birthday, Janie Poo. I'll be home for cake soon.
2: Happy birthday, Jane!